This is the Seven Figures Podcast Smart Money Strategies for Women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. Well, thank you so much for joining us again this week. And you are going to be so glad you did because today our guest is going to be one of those people that you often think about, especially on those days where you need a little strength and inspiration to keep pushing forward. She was in contention to win Australia's first ever medal at the 1988 Winter Olympics. Why her career ended abruptly before she could even compete her story, how she beat the odds, how she was forced to bounce back, back stronger and more successful than ever. Motivational speaker, commercial pilot, aerobatics flight instructor, six best-selling books. She has her own TED Talk, countless interviews, and the list goes on. Janine Shepard is here with us today. Janine, thank you for carving time out of your day for us. Oh, Sandy, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I am not kidding when I say you do often pop into my mind when I'm having one of those rough, stressful days. And it's a very humbling moment because whatever stresses I'm dealing with seem really foolish compared to what you have been through. (laughs) Well, I have those days too. (laughs) And uh, there's someone that I look to actually when I have those days, which is someone that I was next to in the hospital um, bed next to me. So we can talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, it always helps to sort of look at someone else and think, there but by the grace of God go I. So I have one of those people too. Yeah, life isn't as bad or we can make it through. Yeah, there's always someone who's doing it harder, tougher. And there's, you know, there's always hope in knowing that, you know, we can get through it together because I really firmly believe that we're all connected and that's what we're meant to be doing, sharing our stories to give each other hope. And now before we share your story and you take us back to that day. Let's learn first about Janine Shepard as a child. What was life like? What was your home life like? Did you always aspire to be an Olympian? Well, you know what? When I was a little girl, I actually wanted to be a nun. Isn't that crazy? A mom? (laughs) No, a nun. A nun. Oh, a nun? Oh! (laughs) my Australian accent. I know it's Crazy, and I'll tell you why. I was in the um, I was in a representative athletic team um, competing at a national level, and I was travelling away with my uh, teammates, and they took us to it was an Easter holiday, and they took us to a church service, and I saw all the people go up the front and get the you know, take communion, and I thought I really want to do that. Oh, I guess I'll have to be a nun. Oh, now, fortunately, God. I didn't follow through with that. Oh my <laughs> but, gosh. I know, it's one of those, who says that? Like, who says, yeah, I really wanted to be a nun, a little athlete, <laughs> you know, my life revolved around sport, and I had a very stable family, I had a very loving and supportive family, whatever I wanted to try, you know, it, my parents would say, okay, we'll give you the, the opportunity, and they weren't pushy, but they allowed us to explore our strengths and our, our desires, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Were they athletic? Well, they were actually, but you know, they lived in a time when those opportunities that we have now just weren't available to them. Mm. My mother's father had been to the war, and they, you know, they came back. My dad had an orchard; he had to work on the orchard, so they both had to work really hard. And so they were athletic, and they are athletic, but they never really had the the opportunity to explore it on a competitive level. Level. Now you started. You said you were on the nationals team, like at a very young age, right? 
Yeah, I started um, with Little Athletics. I don't know if you have that in America, but in Australia, it's where all of our you know athletes, track and field athletes, actually funneled from. And so I started off as a sprinter actually when I was about seven years old, winning national titles, and wow. I did all of the you know all of the sports that you can imagine, you know, from you know. Um, uh, sprinting and race walking and high jump and long jump and long distance, you know, I sort of did it all and that's what the athletics is about, letting you explore all the different events to see where you, you know, what you really are, are best at or what your strength is in. Okay, now when the accident happened, were you in the Olympics or training to go to the Olympics? I was training to go to the Olympics. So I had um, taken up cross-country skiing and I was uh, training and competing overseas and I was invited to train with the Canadian team in the lead-up to the Olympics, which was just an incredible compliment because the Canadian team was one of the best in the world and um, the 88 um, Winter Olympics were in Calgary. So, you know, it was just such a compliment. So I came back to Australia and was making preparations to go and move over and train with the Canadian team in the lead-up to the Olympics. Okay. And then that day where everything changed, mm. first is how hard is it to keep reliving this story over and over again for you? You know, it's not hard because, you know, I speak about it all the time on the speaking circuit. Uh, so I'm sort of slightly removed from that. And also, I don't actually remember the day. I have oh. no memory of the day. And there's a reason for that too, because I had um, what I call a death experience, not a near-death experience. I actually left my body. So that's a whole other, um, you know, story and memory. So it was very difficult, though. A few months ago, I actually was contacted by the ambulance driver that picked me up, which was very emotional, and we went back to the actual scene of the accident. That was very difficult. That was wow. a tough day. Yeah. Okay, so take us back, if you can. What happened? So I was training with my teammates. We were, on, uh, we were doing um, off-season training, so we were on our bikes, and we were riding from Sydney to the Blue Mountains, uh, which is around a six-hour bike ride uphill, very, very tough ride, something that we did um, a couple of times a year. So we'd been on our bikes for around five and a half hours and we were on the part of the ride, the very end of the ride, going up a very steep hill and I was run over by a speeding utility truck. And the injuries that you suffered from being hit by that truck? Mm. Well, <laughs> I uh, broke my neck and back in six places. I broke five ribs on my left side. I broke my right arm, my right collarbone, some bones in my feet. I had head injuries, internal injuries, and massive blood loss. In fact, I lost about five liters of blood, which is all someone my size would actually hold. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I found out from the ambulance driver that uh, this is a backstory that I only just recently found out about. So I actually didn't even write about this in my book. But um, he he picked me up, and and they thought that well, that, you know, there was no hope. He just said name's Gary. He said, she's not dying on my on my shift. Oh. So they took me to the hospital. He was incredible. I owe my life to this man. So they took me to this local hospital and there was a brand new doctor um, intern that was on who had just flown in from England and he was completely out of his depth. And he, they, you know, I turned up in the emergency and he just said, no, we're just going to leave her here because she's not going to make it. <gasps> and Gary, yeah, I know it was incredible. I had internal bleeding. That was really the thing that was going to kill me. And Gary just thought, no, this is not right. So he went down. His his mate, um, Dr. Grasby, was in surgery at the time at this little hospital. And he went down, pulled his friend out of surgery and said, you've got to come and look at this girl. 
Dr. Grasby handed over to some, another surgeon, came up to emergency, looked at, looked at me and just said, right, I'm in charge. Call the, uh, call the helicopter, get blood flown up. We're taking, she's got to go to Sydney. And if Gary hadn't done that, I would have died at that hospital. Oh, my gosh, Janine. And you just learned that side of the story just recently, you said? Yes, I didn't know wow. that happened. So that was a pretty emotional day when I went back and met Gary. He told me that. And, um, you know, I just, I owe my life to him. How old did you say you were at the time of the accident? Yeah, I was 24. I had everything in front of me, you know, all my goals, my dreams, everything I'd worked for my entire life. <laughs> The first time I heard of your story, I was reading it in James Whitaker's book, who is a good friend of yours, um, (laughs) Thinking Grow Rich, The Legacy. And I was actually reading it with my daughters, who's 14 and 9. And that story not only impacted me, your story, but it impacted them as well. Um, And we watched your TED Talk and you talking about the struggle of making it. First, I was thinking, okay, obviously what you were going through, but then your parents the, the grim diagnosis from, you know, saying, yeah, she's not going to make it to, nope, she's, she's never going to walk. She's never going to have kids. I can't even imagine what your entire family was dealing with at that moment. I know. I, and, of course, I didn't, you know, I was in such a, a bad way. I mean, I spent almost six months in hospital. So for my parents, now that I'm a parent, you know, there's a... Yep. Um, you know, we can tell people that, you know, I did end up having children after they said I wouldn't. So it was only after I became a parent that I could really, truly appreciate what my parents went through. So it was, um, I mean, life-changing when somebody has an accident like this. It's not just them. It affects, it ripples out and affects and changes the life of so many, particularly um, close family. So it was devastating for everyone involved. And for my parents in the beginning, of course, you know, they, I mean, there was... They lived at the hospital for the first week. They didn't leave even to go home and get clothes. And so for 10 days, I had what I call my death experience. And on, I think, day three or something, or maybe day five it was, um, my father went home just to get some clothes and come back again. And they called my mother in. She was on her own. And they said, look, please, you just have to prepare yourself. We can't do anything else. She's not going to make it. And that was a very difficult day for mum. She was on her own. And, um, you know, I just can't imagine yeah. what it was like. Now, you said you had one of those out-of-body experiences, right? And my mother-in-law, mm-hmm. she has she has since passed, but she also had one of those experiences where she had a brain aneurysm. And she said mm-hmm. she saw the white light and she flatlined in the hospital for a few seconds there. Um, and she said it was hard to describe that moment, but she saw the bright white light and she felt something telling her it's not your time. Do you mm. recall that moment? Was there a, a moment, a memory for you? There was, but, it, you know, I, I've only just written about that very briefly in, in my most recent uh, memoir, Defiant. And it took me a long time to even understand what I went through because, it, in my experience, didn't fit anything else that I've ever read about before. Um, I didn't see a white light, but I wasn't alone. I did have three guides, guide, you know, guiding me through the experience, three beings, and I knew that uh, it was my choice, you know, mm-hmm. whether I came back. And, you know, I spent those 10 days sort of in and out of my body. You know, in my body was incredibly painful, excruciating, and I do remember not wanting to be back in my body. I didn't want to. I wanted to be. I wanted to let go, and I couldn't. 
And now I know that the reason I didn't was that my father was sitting by my bed, holding my hand, and, and you know, I know he said, God, take my strength and give it to Janine. And I really believe that was my lifeline, the people that were there with me, holding on to me, not wanting me to go, and just the prayers and of people that were surrounding me. I think that really was my lifeline. Wow. Now that we're all going to wipe our tears away, <laughs> I can't. It's yeah. so remarkable. So remarkable. Because your recovery was long. What kept you going? What pushed you to say, okay, I can keep doing this? And I know you said at that moment when you were in and out of your body, it was your, you, you feel like it was the strength by your support system, your dad and everybody else. But from that point when, when you were starting to recover and rehabilitate, what kept you going? I can't imagine how, how tough it must have been. And it's tough to this day because what people don't realize is I'm actually a walking paraplegic. So I, it's, it's, so I have all the injuries of someone in a wheelchair, but I'm walking. I've, learned, I've taught myself to walk again. And um, so every day is in some way a struggle for me in that I live with, um, you know, all, all of the injuries and chronic pain. And, um, you know, I, I carry a bag of catheters and medication everywhere I go. Mm. So what has kept me going is knowing that I made a choice to come back to my body. And I always, even when I came home out of hospital in a wheelchair, plaster cast attached to a catheter bottle, you know, I kept, I, and I wanted to give up. Oh boy, I wanted to give up so badly. And I kept reminding myself, there has to be a reason for this. You came back. There has to be a reason. So you're going to find out what it is. And that kept me going then and it keeps me going today, you know, knowing that, you know, that that's how I gave meaning to my story. And that's, um, and that's something that I, I talk a lot about. You know, if you're going to create a story, around your life because we're all creating stories, right? Create one that's uplifting and inspiring. I've heard a lot of people, successful people say that um, to achieve success, you have to think like an athlete. Do you feel like because of all the training and discipline and you weren't scared of hard work, is that what helped you? I absolutely think that, you know, contributed because, I have a philosophy of loving the hills, which I talk a lot about, and that's something I developed as a very young athlete. And that mindset carries me through each day of my life. And I definitely think that you know, being an athlete gives you the discipline, and life is all about discipline because life is tough. Can you explain a little bit more your loving the hills? Yeah. So when I was very young, um, I sort of worked out pretty early that when I went out training with my teammates, they all wanted to train on the flat, you know. And I just thought to myself, well, what happens if I train on the hills? <laughs> and so I always took, if there was a choice, I would always take the hills. And I discovered that, you know, the hills just didn't make me physically strong. They made me mentally tough and uh, that nobody else liked them. And that was my edge. You know, that was really mm. my edge in sport. And I also, what happened is, just sort of organically, the more I trained on the hills, the more I learned to love them, I actually always would just go out towards the hills. Always I took the hills. I chose the hills. And then I realized that, hey, that's what life is about. Life is about hills. And once you accept that they're there, then the fact that they're there doesn't matter anymore. A lot of people can relate to your story. They have, you know, either 
had a moment in their life where they feel like they just lost control over whether it be finances or maybe they're blindsided by something like a divorce or whatever else they're struggling with. Is that the advice that you would give them to keep pushing forward, think of the hills and love the hills? Absolutely. You know, turn towards the hills and say, I love it because every hill is a lesson. That's what life is about. I say life is one huge personal development course. And I'm a long way from graduating. (laughs) We all are. We're here in this body, in this life, because there are things to learn. That's how we evolve. That's how we grow. So turning away from those things, whether it's, you know, a divorce or in, you know, loss of a loved one or a financial problem, you know, if you turn from them, they're not going to go away. But if you turn towards it, you find out that, Firstly, it's never as bad as you thought it was. And the magic happens on the other side of the hill. Now, your decision to beat the odds and turn heads when you showed up for flying lessons, I want to talk about that. (laughs) But first, Conversations Like This One is sponsored by Family First Credit Union, a helpful, educated team in our community that enjoys helping you live a financially healthy life. We're on with motivational speaker Janine Shepard here with us. Now you stun the doctors when you beat the odds and survive that horrific accident that we talked about. And then you made heads turn again when you showed up for flying lessons. Can you take us to that point in your life? What inspired you? I know it was crazy. It was completely crazy. I mean, I got out of hospital, I was in a wheelchair and the doctor said, um, you know, you're never, well, firstly, I wasn't meant to survive. (laughs) I wasn't meant to walk, wasn't meant to have children. And I thought, you know, I got home. I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm in a wheelchair. I can't walk. Everything that I've worked for is over. And then it was this sort of magic moment when I really found myself at rock bottom. You know, I I remember being on, on my bedroom floor and I remember saying, okay, I wanted to give up. And I remember saying, God, you show me a way through this or show me a way out. And I let go. And I really think in that letting go, what I was really doing is letting go of my old life. Mm -hmm. Because I realized that, you know, when we hold on to something really tightly, you know, our eyes can't be open to other possibilities. So I decided, right, okay, that's over. My athletic life is over. Now what? And there's this sort of magic moment where, you know, you're sort of given this clean slate to start again and create whatever you want in life. And I was sitting outside in my wheelchair and my plaster cast and an aeroplane flew over. And in the most remarkable way, I sort of looked up and went, okay, so if I can't walk, then maybe I can fly. <laughs> and my mum was like, yeah, okay, that's nice. Yeah. Would you like another cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and that moment changed my life forever. I'd never wanted to fly in my life before, but now this was it. This was going to be the thing that was going to help me get out of, out of bed every day and you know, I was carried into a flying school for the first time. Oh. I couldn't walk, couldn't stand up, you know, covered in a plaster cast. And yeah, they, you know, I went out, I, I um, had rung a flying school and found out about this trial flight. And so they had no idea when I was sort of carried into this flying school, um, what they were in for. And they, you know, lifted me into an airplane and, and I went flying for the first time. And, and that was it. Wow. It changed my life. See, now right there, that's the story you're going to think of when you think whatever you're being faced with is too tough. You just think of that story, right? Because that seems like the impossible. Uh, It was. I mean, I always say that I sort of gave fate to birds. 
you know, I think I took lemons and not only made lemonade, I sort of made a pretty intense triple <laughs> shot lemon cocktail with a couple of paper umbrellas and a firecracker. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So inspiring. Wait, now you mentioned in the very beginning that the, the girl that was in the hospital with you is your motivation to keep pushing forward. Why? What was, what was her story? Her, that was Maria, and she was finishing school, and they were celebrating. It was the end of the year. It was Christmas, and um, they uh, said that she'd worked at McDonald's. They all went out. She was in the back of a car in the days when you know you pile into the back of a van, and the and the van turned upside down. Most of them in the van had died, and she woke up after a coma um, on her 18th birthday to find out that she was a complete quadriplegic. Um, she she had damage to her vocal cords, and um, that was how she spent her life. You know, she passed a few years ago. Her name was Maria, and they moved me next to her in hospital because they thought it would be good for her to have someone around her age next to her. But the truth was, it was actually good for me mm-hmm. because she spent her entire life only being able to move her head, wow. and she never complained, and she always smiled. And we maintained a, friend, a friendship up until the day she passed. And uh, whenever I would call her on the phone, and she, you know, it was very difficult. She eventually was able to talk in a very sort of stilted manner, but she would always ask me how I was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a great lesson for me. She was, to me, almost saintly. And that, to me, is defiance. You know, she didn't let what happened to her beat her. She was going to maintain this incredible grace um, and gratitude for whatever life she was given. And that, to me, is not is not being beaten. That's defiance. Yeah. Now you um, you've raised three children. Yeah. How are you, the mom, Janine, the mom? They're all adults now, <laughs> right? They're all in their twenties. Yeah. Because you. You've lived through so much. You must have been the most patient mama ever. Well, you know, that's a funny word because I am the least patient person. <laughs> that's why I'm where I am. <laughs> I struggle with being patient. I'm like, okay, I'm into it. You know? So, but being becoming a mother has probably the greatest um, gift that I've been given in life. I never would have realized how much I loved being a mother. Mm. And my kids are extraordinary. They've grown up with a mother with a disability and they're incredibly empathic. And and that's their, their choice of career, I think, has reflected that as well. Um, my uh, eldest daughter, Annabelle, has uh, just turned 27 and she's um, finishing off her studies to be a clinical psychologist. Oh, wow. And my middle daughter, Charlotte, is uh, 24 and she's a doctor, a medical doctor. In Australia, you actually go straight in at age 18. So she's she became a doctor at age 23. Oh, wow. So I know. She looks like she's 13. So it's, you know, people are always like, does your mother know you're here doing this? <laughs> <laughs> so she's a doctor. And then I have a son who's um, just turned 21 and he's um, finishing his engineering degree. So I'm really proud of my kids and they're very independent very capable and of course that's the only reason I, I mean I live in another country now so you know I'm very I'm grateful for um, I'm, I'm pretty proud actually of how I, I raised them because I did it as a single mom for the last uh, 
10 years anyway. Oh, did you really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, so my marriage um, broke down. My uh, That's a, a long story about my ex-husband then um, was diagnosed with an illness that we struggled with and it became untenable and so we, we had to separate. And uh, yeah, I was a single mum for 10 years, you know, traveling, speaking, writing, and it was really tough. <laughs> okay, so what are words, because there are a lot of single moms that are listening that mm-hmm. find themselves, oh God, here I am. I have to mm-hmm. somehow put all the pieces together. And if you feel comfortable touching on the finance part of it too, because a lot mm-hmm. of women feel like they, they're they don't feel confident when it comes to finances and keeping the family in yeah. order when they're thrusted into that situation. Can you guide us? Can you give us some advice? Mm. Well, it was tough. You know, I, at the time, I was fortunate that, you know, I had my home and I owned my, owned my home. And I was actually running a farm. I was on a farm. So I was speaking, traveling, you know, writing, running a farm, you know, cows and, and sheep and horses and geese. And <laughs> it was hard work. And, you know, I had... Um, great support from my parents who would come and help me when I had to travel and it really was a juggle so financially I was fine because I was working but then I didn't have um, much support on the other side so I was you know paying all of the bills so I do have a, a, a sort of a um, seminal moment in my life financially in that I actually um, lost my home where the global financial crisis came and it really hit the you know, sort of rippled through and hit the small town that I was living in. I was living on a, I ended up living in a, a different home after the farm and lived on a house with a lot of land and nobody wanted that. So it took two years to sell and I had to, um, I didn't speak for a while because I had, you know, I was a single mum and I was home looking after my kids and I borrowed money and then, you know, it, it, it's sort of a long story, but I ended up having to sell my house for half of what I paid for it. And then when I paid out my loans, you know, really wasn't left with much at all. And it was a moment in my life that was, oh my gosh, so incredibly painful. So I had to start all over again. And, you know, it's incredible. There were a lot of lessons that came from that. Firstly, that, you know, I'd given my kids a great life. We had a great home and I still had, you know, I I feel like I've, each one of my kids is like a small company. Mm. <laughs> you know, I put I put so much into them and they've now got their careers and they're fine and I'm just so happy and proud of that and I got to the point where and I think everything happens for a reason if I hadn't lost my home I'd still be uh, living in that little town in Australia and I'm not sure what I'd be doing Um, but that moment really pushed me out of my comfort zone and I'd given my TED talk I was getting emails from all around the world and there was one in particular that changed my life it was from a man in India and he wrote to me and he said I've had an ailment for 19 years and I was going to commit suicide. He said, but I saw your talk today and it's given me hope. My life starts now. Wow. And I, that's exactly, I just went, oh my goodness, I, I have to keep telling my story. I can't stop. This is why I came back to my body. And I remember closing my computer and thinking, I'm going to America. And start all over again and that's exactly what I did I moved to America four years ago and I can tell you my life could not be any different you are traveling all over the place now everybody wants to to tell your story hear your story your TED talk is very powerful 
Um, you've done countless international interviews. And did you say that there's a movie that might be in production? Well, I know. It's crazy. So as I said, I moved to the States four years ago. And in that time, you know, being in, in the Think and Grow Rich uh, book with James um, has been a great highlight and also in the movie. And I've you know been speaking nonstop. I've I met my soulmate and got married in Kenya last year. Oh, <laughs> oh congratulations. Thank you. It's been quite the journey. And then just recently my uh, Defiant, my uh, memoir, and my life have been optioned by a Hollywood producer. So um, stay tuned. Watch this space. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. How exciting. How awesome. What Out of all these things... What is the one achievement that you're still like, I cannot believe it. Wow. Is it the TED Talk? <laughs> is it the being an aerobatics flight instructor? Is it the movie that is, you know, in talks? What is it that you still look back and think, holy cow? Well, there's many holy cow moments. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, my TED Talk was incredible. That was, um, you know, a, a great moment. There's a great story behind that too. Um, but I think, you know, for me, the greatest, joy, and I'm sure many of your listeners will agree with this, is, is being a mum. Mm. You know, that to me is just um, something I, I give grace for every day because I wasn't meant to have children and my body, you know, they didn't know if I'd be able to give birth normally. I had three normal births <laughs> and I just, am, I just adore being a mother. That is such a mama thing to say too. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all these great things, <laughs> being a mom. Well, it is. It's something that, you know, you just, I, I just, I'm it's so true. grateful for. It really is true. I mean, I, yeah. At, when I said I, you know, probably wouldn't have children because of the extent of my internal injuries, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I, I'll adopt. I'll, do, you know, that mm-hmm. was, that was my mindset at the time. So to give birth three times normally. It is something that I give thanks for, and I'm just mind, mind you, it's not all it's not all just roses. I mean, anyone out there knows, you know, being a mum is is tough. You know, I mean, yeah. Janine, be completely honest with me now. I was at um, a wedding last weekend, and I kid you not, four different conversations with moms who have kids who are all grown up now, young adult children, told me the same thing. Their their advice to me was. Because I have a nine, fourteen-year-old, there is going to be a day that you are going to hate your children, unconditional love, <laughs> but you will hate them, and it prepares you for the day they move out to college. <laughs> well, I have to be honest; I'm not sure if I'd use that word "hate," but certainly there are times when, oh boy, you know, you are stretched, and you know, I think being a parent um, in whatever shape or form is the greatest uh, vehicle for personal growth, for spiritual growth, to expand and awaken your soul. I mean, it is it's, it's incredible. Um, and I just think that, you know, it all comes down to the greatest power of all, which is the power of love. You know, I mean, there's times when you just, you know, you just, it will teach you so much, but you just have to love them in the end. That's it. Just love them. Yeah. And, I, yeah. you know, my kids are great. As I said, they're, incredibly empathic but you know still there's times when I pull my hair out (laughs) yeah and during those moments you say okay this is a lesson a power of love (laughs) absolutely just give them a hug that's a great diffusant you know (laughs) 
um, diffusion. So I, I just think you know, just, just love them. Love them. Life is so short. Everything goes so quickly. Honestly, I can't believe my three children are in their 20s now and young adults and um, it's just all so fast. Well, thank you so Save much. everything. That's a great way to leave this. Thank you so much for your time. And we're going to keep our eye out for your movie. And if you will keep in touch with us and let us know anything else that we can uh, help share, share your story with others, let us know. Oh, that would be great. And for anyone out there, you know, I have started, um, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram, I'm really starting to share um, some of my tips and tools for resilience. Okay. So uh, people can sort of follow me on Instagram and and, um, and and just stay in contact. I love hearing from people. I love hearing people's stories. Thank you, Janine. Thank you so much, Sandy. It's been such a joy speaking with you. Can give my love to your girl. I will. Thank you. She is so remarkable. Janine Shepard, best-selling author, her latest memoir, Defiant, one of the world's top motivational speakers with her own TED Talk, A Broken Body Isn't a Broken Person, resilience expert, aerobatic pilot, and now a friend of seven figures. Janine had mentioned how we are all writing our own story, right? If you are in the throes of the college application process, whether it's your child or you yourself, the story is what's going to get you accepted into the college that you want to go to. We are going to help you craft the perfect college application essay next week on the podcast. Thank you so much again. As always, I say it all the time, I know, but I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast and telling a friend about it. You have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the 7 Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women.